Grateful to be here uh, this evening. I'm glad that you are all here. Um, we are thin, probably uh, because if you aren't um, on the verge or out, uh, coming out of being sick, you know somebody that's sick. It just seems like it's just going around and um, hitting people, and so there's a lot of people in our body that are, are sick. Uh, Pat um, is supposed to be up here, and uh, he's sick. And so we were supposed to be in the book of Acts, chapter 4, this evening, and uh, yesterday, midday, early this morning, somewhere around there, um, made the decision that uh, he should rest, and so we hope he gets better quickly. We know that he will. Uh, Many of you know that they just got done moving uh, into a new place in Greeley from Windsor, and so, um, you know, they've just been going through the ringer. And so um, I'm up here. And um, I'm not going to go through the book of uh, Acts chapter 4 this evening, so I ask for your grace. In that, we're going to pull an audible, uh, Peyton Manning style, at the line of scrimmage. Uh, In the ninth hour, we are going to, you know, go a different direction. And so, uh, the direction that we're going to go in um, is, for many of you, you you know what we're about to uh, embark on. Some of you don't, and that's okay. Um, we are going to look at the, the Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Uh, long and short, this uh, is where I was at in the last uh, day or so in my own devotion. And so, um, uh, we uh, um, developed a tool, really borrowed um, from many different places, um, this tool called Seek and See. And uh, there is a card as well as the printed out scripture that's on the back table. If you don't have one of these guys, please grab one. Um, The intent of this is to be a bookmark in your Bible um, as a means to help um, give some structure around how to look into God's Word, right? And um, there's really no uh, magic bullet there. It's just three very basic questions. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean for me? And it gives us some context for how to do that um, in the life of the church. Um, it's uh, observation, it's meaning, and it's application, right? That's, that's the heartbeat around the seek and see. And so if um, that serves you in any way, um, I hope that it does. I know that it has served me um, and uh, other people as we've opened up God's Word. So um, tonight, like I said, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to walk through that together. And it's going to be a lot more, hopefully, um, participatory um, than some of our other sermons in the book of Acts are. And so my hope and my desire is that you, en- you engage in that, and it's a fruitful, um, deep dive into God's Word as we dialogue with Him um, as our Creator and as our Savior. So that is the hope and the intention. Um, I'd like to pray, settle my own thoughts, and then we're going to spend some time jumping into this text. So let's do that. Lord God, you are great and greatly to be praised. in all uh, seasons of life, in um, sickness and in health, um, on the high hills of your grace and in the low valleys of life, you are ever constant, never changing. The great and mighty one 
the one who has drawn near to us and who has given us all things in Christ for those that would believe in your name. And so God, um, in a very uh, real sense, we are in need of you to show up and to make um, your word living and active by your spirit that it would go forth as the book of Isaiah says and it will not return void. It is our hope and our desire as we draw near to you that you would draw near to us this evening and that we would uh, drink deeply, maybe not of new things, but of things that we are prone to forget or prone to be distracted by, that we would continue to grab hold of um, the reality of your grace extended to us through the shed blood of Jesus. We love you. We ask that you be with us this evening. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 19 and 20, as I said, this is where I was at yesterday um, in God's Word, and so um, we're just going to walk through the steps of this, and as I said earlier, it's participatory. So um, I get the opportunity to talk all the time, and so I'd love for you to like share feedback. It's a, it's a fresh text for many of you. You haven't been able to uh, marinate in it. That's okay. Don't be gun-shy. Just um, share what it is that you feel like we'll be sharing. And so um, the first thing that we do, right, when we come to God's Word, wherever we might be, whether it be Psalms or uh, Isaiah or an epistle like in Colossians, the first thing that we want to understand is what does it say? Before we jump to application, before we uh, understand meaning, we must first understand what it actually says. And so, um, a couple steps along the journey of trying to better grasp what it says is context. What's going on in the book of Colossians? So, if you th- as you think about the book of Colossians, what are some things that you remember about that book? What comes to mind? Who wrote it? What's the context for how it was written? Just shout some of those things out. Who wrote it? Paul. Good answer, right? Uh, uh, why did Paul write the uh, book, uh, the letter of Colossians to? Who did he write it to first and foremost? What church? Not a quick trick, a quick, a trick question. Just trying to get us primed, right? Colossae, right? There's a church in Colossae that Paul is writing this letter to. Does anybody remember how the church of Colossae came about, generally speaking? Awesome story. We are going to find it in the book of Acts later on. Okay? Uh, Acts, um, it, it's led to believe, uh, be believed that sometime during Paul's ministry um, to Ephesus, the three-year journey that he, or uh, time that he is in Ephesus, there's this guy by the name of Epaphras who hears the gospel of Jesus Christ while in Ephesus, and then he takes the gospel back with him to Colossae, and he begins to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and people start getting saved. And the church is birthed in Colossae. Sometime later, Paul is in Rome, and this guy, Epaphras, is with Paul, and he's reporting back to him about the state of the church, sharing with him all that God is doing. And 
unfortunately, one of the things that Epaphras shares is that there has been an influence of some dangerous teaching into the Colossae church. Some kind of mixture between Jewish and local pagan beliefs that give rise to calling out for help to angels for protection against evil spirits and the like. In response to that report, Paul writes the letter of Colossians in hopes to correct the church's view of Christ as the preeminent and better one. He is better than the angels. And to help the Christian understand their new identity because of Christ. That are the two primary um, uh, surrounding contexts for why Paul writes the book of Colossians. And here in chapter 1, the direct context for verses uh, 19 and 20 is the reality of who Christ is. If you kind of follow along maybe with your Bible, you can open that up. And there's a common introduction that Paul gives. He actually gives thanks for Epaphras, as we talked about. And then he begins to articulate identity statements of who Christ is. Here's a couple of them. That he is the image of God. The firstborn. The creator of all things. Who holds all things together. Who is the head of the church who's the beginning and the preeminent one, just to name a couple things. That is the direct context for where we land in verse 19 and 20, is what just came right before is these significant statements of identity of who Christ is, with the aim of helping the Colossae church understand with greater clarity that Jesus is the preeminent one, okay? So that's context. Now we're going to move to the next piece quickly, our words. What are words, whether they stand out to you, whether they need definition, or they seem like, hey, those seem like uh, important words into these uh, two verses. So just start shouting them out, and we're going to underline them together. All, for in him all, Fullness, reconcile, peace, blood. Give me one more. Cross. Okay. Okay, so the next step, remember, this is just trying to help kind of like whet the appetite of words that are either things that need greater definition, right? Things that would be helpful to get some greater context for the verses, or things that we think like that is a substantial idea. We need to hone in on that, right? Okay. The next step, always kind of an awkward step as the guy that's reading the text, as he asks for participation from people to help break the text into smaller ideas. So before we look at the forest, we want to look at the tree. And so we're going to walk through these two verses, and we're going to break 
up the, um, the verses into phrases, into smaller bite-sized ideas, and then we're going to look at those bite-sized ideas individually, and then we're going to look at them collectively, okay? So I'm going to read, and I'm going to ask you to tell me, like, break it or line or some phrase, and we're going to walk through together, and we're going to break up the text together, okay? So, for in him, break, all the fullness of God, break, Roger's on it, was pleased to dwell, break, and through him, break, to reconcile to himself all things, couple options. You could break it here, right? To reconcile to himself all things. You could also maybe not do that. Either one I think is, is okay. Whether on earth or in heaven, break. Making peace, I want to break it there, by the blood of his cross. So now let's dive into some of these phrases, and as we dive into the phrases, we're going to ask the question, are there words inside the phrase that we need to have greater definition on? I always like to start at the top. It's not always the place to start, but oftentimes it is helpful. And so, I'm going to start with the word for, in Him. Anytime we see the word for, we should always ask the question, what is that communicating? We just talked about earlier that before this verse 19 is a large um, uh, statement of reality of who Christ is, right? His identity statements. And the word for in him, we know that the him is referring to Christ because of what came before in verses 15 through 18. And really, the way that I see this is that the concept of for in Him is the grounds, it is the, it is the foundation for how Jesus can be all of those things in verses 15 through 18. Well, how can this guy be the one that is of the, uh, the, the, the preeminent one who holds all things together? How can he be the image of God, the firstborn, the creator of all things? It's because all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What do you think about when you think about the word dwell? Live. Like in, in inhabit. Like my, my mind goes to uh, John chapter 1. Right? The Word became flesh. Right? The, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Like there is a connection between God here and the Jesus that is being referenced here. And they are together in fullness, in completeness. And through Him, still talking about Jesus, right? To reconcile. What comes to mind when you think about the word reconcile? How do you communicate that idea to somebody else?
resolve conflict. Healing, conflict, make amends. Those are good, really good. The idea of reconciliation in the New Testament as well as in the Old Testament often comes from the restoring of relationship, which means that there was at one point relationship that was needed to be restored. So what this verse is saying, if we grab hold of that idea of to reconcile, okay, the through him, this phrase here, okay, is the thing that God is going to do through Christ, and the action is to reconcile, to make relationships um, whole, to bring harmony, to heal, to make amends. And then who's the object that he's going to do that with? There's always two parties, right, in reconciliation. Who are the two parties that the verse is talking about? Boom. To himself. Think about that. All things. To himself. So Jesus is the object of reconciliation and he is the means of reconciliation. That's what that says. And as Alex pointedly communicated, the phrase, all things, is then described here. Right? Whether on earth or in heaven. Want to know what all things mean? It's those things on earth and those things in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. What's the result? of reconciliation in the text. It's peace. If you get reconciliation by Jesus from the Father, you get peace. That is the result of reconciliation in this text. Making peace. How did he do that? How did he bring reconciliation? How did he bring us peace? It's by, you know, it's, it, the, the text tells us it's by the, right? It's that phrase, that is a chiefly important phrase. It's by the blood of his cross. What's peace? How do you define that? Absence of conflict. Yeah. Contentment. 
Stacy, say it again. Fearless. It's interesting to think about that Paul communicates the idea of reconciliation, which is relational harmony and restoration there in reconciliation, restoring relationship, and then he talks about the word of peace. And I think about that a lot the last day. Like, what are the, what's the relationship between those two things? I'm going to get to that maybe in the meaning piece, but it's a question for a, a later time. And then lastly, as we consider these phrases and the relationship between the phrases, we got to look at this statement here, by the blood of his cross. So what this communicates is that the reconciliation that we get through Christ by God requires blood. It requires payment. It is not free. For those of us that know the gospel, we know that Jesus walked faithfully towards the cross. Right? Roman execution to hang an individual upon a tree. That right there. What is the main idea? Got a lot of Scribble notes, your page probably doesn't look as messy as mine. I don't know, maybe it does. What's the big idea? I would submit that it's this right here. making peace. And the reason why I would submit that that's the big idea is because the reason why he has the fullness of God and why God was pleased to dwell in him and to send him to bring reconciliation of all things, whether on earth by the blood of his cross, was to make peace. Boom. It's all building upon itself. And therefore, I think that this is the main idea of Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 20. So the last thing that we do with the idea of what does it say is we summarize the main point, generally in our own words. That's a helpful thing to do because if, it, if you come up with it, you'll probably remember it better than if somebody else comes up with it. So, anybody want to take a stab at summarizing Colossians 1, 19 through 20 in your own words. Ideally, in a sentence or less.
How about this? God brings reconciliation through Christ making peace. Jesus, the peacemaker. Usually I have a tendency to try to jam too much in there. Let's move on. What does it mean? We have a couple prompts, not the only ways to, define, uh, to mine through meaning, but these are three just relatively easy um, questions that we ask. When we're looking at meaning, what does it say about God? What does it say about man? And what's the connection with the gospel? So quickly, real quick, one or two, just shout it out. Um, what does this text, these verses, say about God? He desires reconciliation. He wants relationship. Amen. What else? He's going to go get that thing, that thing being reconciliation. Amen. One more. One more thing about God. Not only does he want and is desirous of reconciliation, this phrase, making peace, is not theoretical, but it's actual. He goes and gets it, and he has the power to do it. Amen. What does this text say about man? Either man in his sinful state or man now as a new creation. What does this text say about man? Reconciliation communicates a need of broken relationship that needs to be fixed. What else? We have hope. In the midst of a world that would communicate no peace, we have peace in the face of Jesus. What's the connection with the gospel? How does this either communicate the gospel or highlight the gospel? Peace is a product of the work of Christ by what he did on the cross, not by our effort. Amen. What else? Give me one more. That's huge. Josh needs to come up here and preach on that. The brokenness that is expressed in this verse is not just humanity. More importantly, the reconciliation 
that is found by the blood that makes peace is not limited to humanity, but it redeems all things. Amen. So how, what do we do with that? Moving on to the third and kind of final point of our seek and see tool is we've, we've seen the observation, what does it say, what does it mean? Now the question is to contextualize it to you today. What does it mean for me? Again, these aren't exhaustive, but just trying to be a helpful tool along the road. A couple questions for consideration is how does this text challenge my thinking, my attitude, or my heart? How do these truths impact me as a fill-in-the-blank, a teacher, a student, a mother, a wife, a husband, a co-worker, an employer, an employee, And what step of obedience is this text calling me to walk in? We, we have the template the model for how to bring reconciliation into broken relationships with people. Founded in Jesus and his love, self-sacrificing. Amen. What does the reality of Christ as our peacemaker Where does that hit you at this evening? When I think about peace, another word that comes closely next to the idea of peace is the idea of rest. I would argue, actually, that where there is peace, where there's completeness, right, where there's freedom from disturbance, is the presence of rest. How does the reality of Christ as the peacemaker impact you in the circumstances of your life? Right, the true author of peace is in the embodiment of Christ. It isn't out there in either good or, or favorable circumstance. Right? Like I, I've been thinking about that this week, like many of you know. I'm so tired of being, uh, being in a sick home. Like my kids are sick. You all know my wife's not here. Somebody in my house has been sick for four weeks. Like, I'm, I am weary of sickness. 
how does, how does the reality that Christ is my peace and where there is peace, there is rest in the circumstance of weariness of being tired of being sick. Like how, how does that go together? We have hope today that at some point Jesus is going to put all of that away. Amen. It also helps me when I think about like the weariness of life and the pursuit of of trying to perform. That like the gospel, the the maker of peace has has redeemed me from my greatest need and my greatest struggle. No longer have to work towards your approval as your pastor. No longer have to put on the facade that I've got it all together. Because my peace is not in you thinking that I do. It's in Christ. My rest is ultimately bound up in the the eternal security that is in Christ. It's not bound up in the lack of stress in my job. The next vacation that someday I'll be able to take. Any other th- closing thoughts around this text? Anything that we would be blessed by sh- you sharing? Yeah, the word making is a proactive posture. It isn't a, it isn't a uh, retreat and withdrawal. It is an engaging uh, posture that Christ did first and foremost as the greatest example to um, dive into the chaotic world that needs restoration and, and peace. Amen. Amen. Hope um, that that was profitable for you and uh, stirred your heart towards um, worship. We'll probably do this, you know, on occasion um, as time allows throughout the life of our church. Critically important that we um, engage in God's Word. I think we use the, the illustration at the very front end of this church that being in God's Word is, and, and in prayer is like breathing and exhaling for the life of the believer 
Um, you cannot survive without breathing and exhaling. Same thing is true, I would argue, that like God's best is for us to be in his word and in prayer with each other and with one another. Um, and so I, I, my hope and desire is that as helpful as we model that um, and, and be able to see God rightly on display by how he's communicated himself in his word. So that's the hope. Um, hopefully next week we'll be back in the book of Acts as Pat is jacked and ready to you know, bring it like only Pat can. And so um, that, that'll be great next week. So let's, uh, let's take a, one minute in just personal reflection um, about Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, the reality of Christ as our peace and our rest. Um, take about one minute, and then we just have Paul. He's going to come up. I'm going to pray, then Paul's going to come up and he's going to lead us in this last song, and then we will be done. So let's just take one moment, just reflect what God might be doing in your own heart. Lord God, you are, um, you are the maker of peace, and you have done that by purchasing reconciliation, by spilling your blood for all those who would um, redeem, uh, that you would call to yourself, that would repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have um, extended the hand of friendship, that you've transferred us from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved Son. God, I want to um, and am desirous of growing and affirming the reality that you are the place of peace. That it's not the absence of circumstance in my life. It's not the, the, um, the adding of good circumstances in my life, but it is, it is found up in you and you alone. That where true peace is because of reconciliation, there is rest for your people. God, I know that there are weary people in need of your rest. Because of your peace, which you purchased by your blood. So God, I pray that we would be a people that would fan that into flame for one another and walk as people that are filled up with joy as we drink deeply of who you are. We love you. Grateful for the reality that you loved us first. In your name we pray. Amen.